Support for Innovation Hub comes from the Graken Center for Addiction at Boston Medical Center, making long-term recovery a reality for patients like Cassie, who now supports others struggling with the disease. You can see Cassie's story and learn more at bmcaddiction.org. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. When pollsters ask Americans, what's the biggest economy in the world? Americans say, by a pretty healthy margin, China. The reality is, if you're looking at GDP, the U.S. is actually still on top. But our awareness of and our worry about China clearly shapes how we think in the U.S. We see Chinese students in cities like Shanghai doing extremely well on worldwide standardized tests. And American parents are left to wonder, is China pulling ahead of us? Are they training the next generation more effectively? When journalist Lenora Chu, who grew up in Texas, moved to Shanghai, she decided to enroll her three-year-old son, Rainey, in a Shanghai public school. And she quickly got a crash course in how the Chinese hope to get ahead and how different their approach is from ours. She was a journalist. She's the author of Little Soldiers, An American Boy, A Chinese School, and The Global Race to Achieve. Lenora, thanks for your time. Thanks, Kara, for having me. So how quickly at the beginning of the school year for Rainey, um, do you think you realized, like, whoa, this is a very different uh, brand of education from what I'm used to? Probably day one. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I mean, it's China, right? Shanghai is a city of 26 million people, if you can mm-hmm. imagine. And when I'm walking to school, I feel like all of those people are on this school's lawn. I mean, it's just jostling your way <laughs> to the classroom door. Everybody's out, you know, for the first day of school. Mom, dad, grandparents. And it's just a mm. mass of humanity. Mm. And, you know, my son comes home that first week of school and says, my teacher forced me to eat something I didn't want to eat. She basically lined up all the kids in the classroom and put eggs in their mouths multiple times until they were forced to swallow. How do you force a kid to swallow? Well, so my son, in the way he tells it at three, and it took a while to get the story out, but he kept spitting it out, kept spitting it out, and she just kept putting the next spoonful in. And by the fourth time, he had no choice but to uh, to eat the egg. Whoa. And, and over time, did that make him like eggs? That's the funny thing as a parent. You hate the process, but you might like the outcome. And he loves (laughs) eggs now. And that is the great conundrum of the Chinese way. You know, they think that sometimes your kids just have to do things they don't want to do, like learn math, eat eggs, you know. (laughs) I feel like as myself, as an American parent, and you probably too, that there's something so uh, disturbing about a person holding your kid's mouth shut till they swallow. Yes. And I let her know. So I said, this is not how we do things in America. We don't use methods of force. And we had this conversation and she said, well, how do you do it? And does it work? And she's right. It doesn't always work. And later she said, I should never question her authority in front of a child again. Hmm. You know, in China, teacher knows best. And this is positive as well as negative. Even the Chinese know. What does the egg eating incident, but I'm sure there's lots of others in that vein. What does it tell you about like what the Chinese want their kids to be versus what Americans want their kids to be? They definitely value 
the idea of authority and that the elder knows best. You know, the teacher stands at the front of the classroom and all the signaling is about her knowing what's best for these children. And there's also this idea that individual will should be suppressed for the good of the group. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a medical condition or a special need or a learning disability, there really is no place for you in the Chinese system. And in this way, they're able actually to make great progress, if you think about it. And this sort of difference in culture in some ways accounts for what they value. Um, It's also important to know that Chinese education is all about passing tests. You advance Mm -hmm. to the next level Mm -hmm. of schooling based on an entrance exam score, and that drives anxiety and behavior. So talk a little bit about this test-taking system and what it's like, because I think a lot of American parents would say, gee, it feels like you know, we're always teaching to the test. And, you know, every every state has their own setup and their own, you know, bunch of tests that you have to pass generally to, like, get your high school diploma. Um, but how would you say their system is different from our system, even though we both have tests? I think that the, t- the tests in China are much more monumental to a child's success you know, especially at that high school entrance exam. So there's 18 million babies born in China every year. In the U.S., it's only 4 million, right? Mm -hmm. So you can get a sense of the scale. Mm -hmm. And at that high school level, you lose 7 or 8 million. They just drop off out of the education system. And at the college entrance exam, you lose another 2 to 3 million. That is an incredibly high-stakes exam-based system. And, you know, in the U.S., there are many more options for kids who, say, don't get into their top choice of college. The community college system is also very robust. There are a lot of options generally for families and for students, and China still hasn't built out that system yet, Hmm. unfortunately. By the way, what happens to kids who um, don't pass the high school entrance exam or don't pass the college entrance exam? Like, What kind of jobs do they get? Where do they go? So it used to be that there was a factory job waiting for most of those kids. You know, when they're 17, they don't get into high school, then they immediately go out to work. Here's the problem. The economy is slowing down. The manufacturing base is inching over to Bangladesh, Indonesia, other parts of Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. A story we've heard before, right? Exactly. Yeah. This is going to be a huge source of instability because China was built on promising families, prosperity, and wealth. And we're going to start to see some fraying around the edges because little Dream Dream in my book, he's not going to get the job that his mother did. What do we do then? What does he do then, you know, if he's not able to continue his educational journey? Can you talk about other things that Rainey experienced that surprised you, um, but that were in service to this idea of like, you know, pushing kids ahead and making them ready so that they can be those people who make it past the high school entrance exam and and into college. So you know what I thought was very interesting? When they started counting exercises at a very early age, you know, four and five years old, and these were double-digit and triple-digit counting exercises. And when my son came home with this worksheet, I thought, oh, no, this is going to be terrible. He's not going to be able to do it. He's going to feel bad about himself. But when he wasn't getting it, all the language was needs to work harder. The teacher would actually scrawl that across the top, needs to work harder. And the message was every kid can get this with enough effort. Hmm. There were no participation trophies, you know, and and frankly, they actually ranked progress on a chart that was posted on the wall. And when I saw that, too, my heart sort of jumped. Hmm. But again, because the Chinese don't make this link between achievement in the classroom and self-esteem, 
you know, parents are more likely to accept the scores because they know it's just about working harder, working harder, and every kid can get it. In the U.S., we're more likely to believe in sort of innate talent, right? And that's why we give out the participation trophies because we're afraid kids are going to feel bad about themselves. Mm -hmm. But what if instead we believed that every kid could learn math? What did you learn from following different high school kids in different situations? Because, you know, we should say your child went to this fairly, it was a public school, but, you know, it got some fairly sort of affluent people going to it. But you, not everybody you followed was affluent. Uh, they were all, they all wanted success for their kids. But like, what happened to those kids as they went through that journey of high school? So I followed two Shanghai high school students, and one of them, his name is Darcy. And it's interesting to me, he exemplifies secrets. You know, when you look at him, he's perfect. His hair is perfect. His bangs are always following in the right way. <laughs> his, you know, is the top math score in his class. Teachers love him. He was elected class monitor. But he had a secret girlfriend, you know. He had a secret mobile phone his father didn't know about. And he was actually a rural kid pretending to be a city boy. He had the wrong household registration. And so after getting to know him, I realized that his parents actually divorced And his father married a Shanghai woman so that he could have the right registration to go to high school in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. So he illustrated two things. First of all, nobody wants to raise a kid in the countryside because the odds are so much harder for success. And secondly, there's a lot of corruption and people taking shortcuts to try to stay on that educational ladder. You know, his parents divorced so he'd have better educational opportunities. So there is a secret life um, to Darcy that I didn't know until I hung around with him for a few years. Hmm. The other girl, Amanda, too, she hated her Chinese classroom and didn't really understand what Shakespeare was about until she came to the U.S. for a year of high school and was able to read The Merchant of Venice in its unabridged full version. If you can think about it, we take that for granted. We can read whatever we want. But the Chinese classroom, it's snippets or, you know, texts are censored. And that was another thing I realized, you know, kids are not encouraged to really express themselves independently or, you know, even read what they want to read. I'm Kara Miller. This is Innovation Hub, and I'm talking with Lenora Chu, a journalist and the author of Little Soldiers, An American Boy, A Chinese School, and the Global Race to Achieve. You also looked at another kid, a rural kid, whose story did not turn out um, either the way that he or his family hoped. Can you talk about his story? Yes, yeah, so I, I follow a, a kid, little Dream Dream in the countryside, and his story was heartbreaking because his mother was a migrant worker to Shanghai. And this is very common. If you you leave the countryside to go to a big city to find a job and you leave your child behind. So Lauren had not lived with little Dream Dream for 17 years. Finally, he's facing that high school entrance exam and he's about to fall off the educational ladder. Mm. She's frantic. She moves home to try to get him back on the ladder. But the truth is she's illiterate. She's not educated herself. And he does indeed fail that entrance exam. And when I looked into the numbers, he's one of those seven, eight million kids a year in China who don't make it to the next level. And so when you look at China, it's not a monolith. You know, outcomes are very different depending on whether you're urban or rural and even whether your family has money because money buys test prep and Mm -hmm. tutoring and extracurriculars. So it's very much 
you know, looking like what's happening in U.S. education, mm-hmm. frankly, that tie to socioeconomic status. So I just have a question. When the, when the rural mom... Um, went away from her family uh, and spent like 17 years, you said, away from her son. I assume she was doing it so she could make money and give her children a better life. That's exactly right. And how devastating is it to work so long for that? You know, she was paying for test prep and boarding school for her son. And then to find out that he really couldn't pass that high school entrance exam because he had no parental supervision. He'd become Mm -hmm. addicted to video games. He had had a junk food habit. And when she rushed back to try to live with him, not only did she give up her salary in the city, but she was unable to help him because she couldn't do his physics homework, Mm -hmm. you know. So it, it's it's devastating. This is a major problem for China. All that social instability that they're worried about is going to come from the countryside for families who cannot keep up. So you just talked about these high school students. Um, hearing their stories, even though some people are sort of on their, on its face, um, they're successful, and other people are not, they, like i.e. they just don't make it through the college entrance exam, um, they all sound in some ways as you describe it, like um, they have serious issues that they're grappling with. Now, not that American high school students don't, but does that give you pause as to the Chinese system? Like, oh, you know, even the people who are succeeding, okay, first of all, you've got this rural-urban divide, but then even the people who are succeeding, they're reading books they don't really get, and, you know, they're kind of, they have to kind of hide their identity because only certain kinds of identities are acceptable, you know? That's a great point. And that's why, you know, the last third of my book, I really wanted to think about what does the Chinese way of education do well? And there are a few things. And it's really about the attitudes. You know, the system is brutal. Not every kid gets through. But in the early years, all the attitudes around education, the respect for the teacher, the belief that every kid can learn difficult subjects, these are some of the things that my son has internalized from spending several years in the system. And I really think that that's the way to go. You know, teachers in China enjoy a social status that's tops in the world. It's on par with doctors. And China, the government, when they look at education reform, they know they need to keep social status of teachers extremely high. They're doubling the funding going to teacher salaries. And to me, that's a great signaling around what's important in education. Um, You you talked to an expert in education from UCLA who told you, this is a quote, we do not know what it means to work hard until we see how hard others work. We do not understand what children can accomplish until we have seen what other children the same age can do. You know, you grew up in Texas. Do you feel like now seeing primary education in China, actually, and secondary education, you have a new understanding of what kids can do who are four or 14? I do. That's absolutely right. And I think, you know, when you look at Chinese educators, they're looking everywhere, Finland, Singapore, the U.S., the U.K., to see what we're doing well in education. And they're trying to adopt some of those attitudes and methods back home. I don't feel that we're doing the same thing in the Mm -hmm. U.S. There's sort of a complacency Mm -hmm. to where we are in education. Either that or it's completely polarized. Where do we go? You know, public or private? Do we empower states or deploy a national mandate? The debate is incredibly polarizing and we're not really making progress. And I think that's one thing I've learned from the Chinese way is that they're so open to change and they understand the necessity for it. And that gives them a leg up. What do you think they see when they look at America? And I mean, for the, for good and for bad. 
What they love about what we do is that the teacher, and I and I visited four classrooms in four states for this book in the U.S., okay. the teacher is always talking about, hey, kids, what do you think? What do you think about what we just talked about? And just the language, not giving kids the answer. Life is not a multiple choice question test. We're asking them to think critically every single day. And then kids come home to the dinner table and parents were asking the same questions. The Chinese kid doesn't do that. He goes from teacher knows best classroom to parent knows best at home. And he is not really developing those sort of critical thinking and decision making skills. Mm -hmm. They know we do that better. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that sort of intrinsic motivation. We're so good at getting kids to love learning. And part of that is allowing them to explore. So this is really funny. A Chinese teacher came back from the U.S. and she said, you know, in the preschool classroom, kids get to sit in circles and they move around the classroom (laughs) whenever they want. And I said, yes, you know, and, and just that alone is about letting kids explore. You know, the Chinese preschool classroom, it's rows, three rows, you know, kids pack tightly in and they have to sit there for an hour and they get up for water at prescribed times. But, you know, they're learning these little sort of just the way you arrange the classroom, just the time that you get to get up to go to the bathroom. This is just anathema to them, but they're Mm -hmm. learning. And did you worry about your own son, that like his ability to color outside the lines or think differently or think creatively, that that was going to be like, he might learn math great, but that some of that was going to be systematically like taken out of him as he went through school? I did. I had a lot of anxiety about this particular issue. And What's great about my son, though, is he goes from teacher knows best and he comes home to us and he has an equal seat (laughs) at the table. And I didn't see any evidence that his creativity or expression was squelched. And here's the other thing that I like about the Chinese way. Creativity needs a strong base of knowledge. And he has that. He That is prioritized in his primary schooling environment. And so, you know, people forget that about creativity. You still need expertise and knowledge. That's an important foundation. Lenora Chu is a journalist living in Shanghai. She's the author of Little Soldiers, An American Boy, A Chinese School, and the Global Race to Achieve. Lenora, thank you so much. Thanks, Kara. We've got a link to a recent piece that Lenora Chu wrote in The New York Times. It's called, Will the Next Steve Jobs Be from China? China. 